Well, it's great to see everybody. My name is Elliot. I am uh, the Connection Pastor here, and today we're going to continue this series, Heroes. Now, um, something that I probably don't have to point out to you, but we love heroes. I mean, just look at the movies that dominate at the box office, whether it's one of the Star Wars films or maybe it's one of the Avenger films. There's plenty of those to choose from. Maybe it's something that Dwayne The Rock Johnson's in. Whatever it is, Hollywood knows that if they offer us a good hero film, we will open up our wallets and we will go see it. And when it comes to these hero movies, they have a few things in common. One of them is there's always, there's always a challenge that the hero faces. There's always, there's always a struggle, some kind of difficulty, a crossroads they come to where they've got to decide, am I going to live for what I want and my desires and put myself first? Or am I going to value other people and put other people first and really live for what's going to benefit everybody? And the, the hero reaches this point, and there's some kind of sacrifice that has to be made. And it's in the pressure of that situation where they rise up and they save the day and they become a hero. And with all these individuals and stories being thrown our way, maybe it's, maybe it's people in our own life that we know that we look up to and we want to in some way be like them or maybe it's a character from a movie and we think you know we might not we might not possess their powers but maybe in my life I could do something similar to what they've done whoever it is it's wise for us as Christians to ask the question what does God say is heroic who are the people that he looks at and he says what that person did is significant or that approach to life should be paid attention to and that should be emulated by other people and so that's what we're doing in this series. Is we're kind of looking at the different approaches to life and the different things that people have done and God looks at and he says, that's significant, people should pay attention. So we started and we looked at Gideon and we talked about the fear shift that has to take place. And then last week we looked at the life of Abraham and we talked about the issue of trust. And today we're going to turn our attention to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we're going to explore her life and see what we can learn from her life. Now, Mary is a very well-known individual in history. She is well-known not only in the Christian tradition, but also in other faiths. Other faiths, faiths like Islam, and there are some others, they highly revere Mary. Actually, when you go back and you kind of trace the popularity of names, what you find is the name Mary, since we started tracking which names are most popular, the name Mary has been one of the most popular names for girls throughout kind of modern history. It's kind of always at the top or right there vying for the top spot among names for little girls. Now, something that the Bible reveals about Mary and something that we're going to kind of focus on is she faced a lot of difficulties and challenges in her life. There were a bunch of trials that she faced, very, some very painful experiences. I mean, first of all, there's the virgin birth and teen pregnancy. I mean, try explaining the virgin birth to somebody. Try telling your parents that you're pregnant with the Son of God. Try telling your friends that. I mean, most likely people aren't going to believe her. And then add to that her age. I mean, she's, you know, kind of a middle-aged teen, kind of right in the middle of the teen years. So what are people going to assume about this young girl who's pregnant but not married? I mean, in that culture, that was such a big deal. In our culture, honestly, it's not that big of a deal anymore. There's kind of this idea that teenage sex is kind of a rite of passage. And if you get pregnant, people aren't going to necessarily judge you for the act that got you pregnant, but they are going to judge you for not using protection. It was very different in that culture. In that culture, they really what valued what God had to say on the topic. So what God's had to say about marriage, that was supreme. That was, hey, marriage is a big deal. What God had to say about being pure and waiting until marriage, that was a big deal. That was held in high regard in that 
in that culture. So you could only imagine ending up being pregnant as a teenager and not married and wondering, what in the world are people thinking? What are they saying about me? Add to that Joseph, who was her fiance at the time, who ended up marrying her, when he first found out about it, he wanted to call off the wedding. And he probably assumed what everybody else assumed about her. So he wanted to call it off. Then you think about it and you just, you add these things up and you realize the nine months from when she got pregnant to when she had Jesus, that just had to be a trying and tumultuous experience that she went through. Then when it comes to Joseph, her husband, there's, we're not really told what happens to him. It's mentioned, he's mentioned early in Jesus's life and then he's mentioned when Jesus is about 12 years old. But then after that, there's no record. So the safest assumption is that he died, which means Mary became a widow probably in her late 30s, early 40s, right around midlife. She becomes a widow, and she's got all these kids that she's caring for. Joseph dies, and that's about the safest assumption. She went through that. Then there's Jesus' public ministry. She witnessed it. She experienced it. I mean, you can, you as parents, you know how exciting it is and how much joy it gives you when you see your child succeed at something and be approved by others. You know what that's like. You can only imagine the parental pride as thousands of people would gather to hear Jesus teach. She witnessed this. You can only imagine what's going through her mind and and her holding on to those moments as people from all over the countryside would come for him to heal them or to see him perform miracles. You can only imagine what that would be like as a parent. And then add to that, she didn't just know the highs of his public ministry, she also knew the lows. She knew the numbers of people that rejected him. She knew about the people that were opposed to his message. Actually, her own neighbors at one point in the city of Nazareth, they tried to kill him because of something he said that was so offensive to them. She knew about all this. She experienced this. Then you add to that the cross. It says that she is down at the feet of the cross. She's looking up. She witnesses this whole thing take place. I mean, as a parent, one of the worst things I can imagine is the death of a child, let alone being right there witnessing it and not being able to do anything to stop it. But that's what Mary went through. She was right there. She experienced it. And you start to add all this stuff up about her life, and you realize she had a really tough journey that she walked. But you know what's amazing? Somehow, with all the trials that she faced and all the pain that she would have experienced, somehow she came out the other, t- other side and she was still standing on her faith. She was still holding on to her faith and belief in God, even after all this stuff that she went through. Actually, in the book of Acts, there's a story told about after Jesus dies and he gives his life on the cross to save us from sin, and then he, he rises back to life and then he ascends to heaven, there's a story told about the early church gathering together, and this is what it says in Acts 1.14. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, talking about Jesus' followers, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Right there, after Jesus has risen from the grave and he's returned to heaven, right there in their midst, Mary is still, her faith is still intact. She's still moving forward, still believing. So the question that we're going to address this morning is how can you walk through what Mary experienced with your faith intact? How in the world do you go through anything close to what she went through and come out the other side still believing and trusting in God? That's what we're going to explore this morning. Now, some people through history 
have come to the conclusion, they've explored this question and looked at Mary's life, and they've come to the conclusion that Mary in some way is unique from the rest of us. She's kind of, she was given kind of elevated or privileged status by God, almost like she's kind of superhuman in some ways. So there are certain things that we're going to experience and go through that Mary didn't have to deal with because she was kind of special and given something by God. The problem with taking that thought or believing that, thinking that Mary was unique from the rest of us, is partially because of what Mary says about herself, which we'll get into this morning. But then also there's a few times where Jesus speaks about Mary and he paints a picture that makes it clear that she wasn't unique and different than the rest of us. The struggles that we face, she faced as well. The decisions that we face to put God first and to have God save us from our sins, all these things, she was in the same boat that we are. So if she wasn't unique in kind of this superhuman privileged status, then what in the world allowed her to go through this stuff and still hold on to her faith? Well, I think an answer is given by something she says about herself in Luke chapter 1. In this passage, we're getting ready to read a little context, a little backstory on it. Jesus... um, She's already pregnant with Jesus, and then she leaves where she's staying, where she grew up, and she's going to go stay with a cousin. Her cousin's named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth believes in God, and she knows some of the things that are going on in Mary's life. So it's going to be kind of a safe place for Mary to hang out while she carries Jesus in this pregnancy. And so when she arrives at Elizabeth's house, they greet each other, and there's all this excitement. And then Mary, as she kind of reflects on all that God's doing in her life, and she's so excited about God's activity in her life and the things he's doing, that she just kind of lets out this exclamation of praise. And there's this statement that she gives, and she's just kind of saying, I'm so amazed at what God is doing for me. And this is what she says. This is what's recorded in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary reveals some really interesting stuff about her thinking and how she sees God at work in the world, really her perspective on life and who God is in this passage. And I think that that really points to what allowed her to go through what she went through and come out the other side holding on to her faith. So that's what we're going to explore. The first thing, these are three things that Mary knew. The first thing that Mary knew. Mary knew, based on what she reveals here, that her life was part of a greater story. She knew that the experiences that she went through, they weren't isolated, they weren't one-off experiences, but she knew that her life and what she was going through found meaning, found purpose in the context of a greater story, specifically God's story. This past spring, a new Avengers film came out. It was the film Avengers Infinity War. And in this film, it's actually the 19th installment of what's referred to as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, I still can't believe that we've already got 19 of these films out there. And they've planned them all the way through the mid-20s. So if, you, if you're not fed up with them yet, they're just going to keep coming. But this film, Infinity War, this has more superheroes in it than any other film. I mean, we're talking Captain America, Hulk, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man, Spider-Man. The list goes on and on and on. Tons and tons of superheroes in this film. And even if you don't follow the Avenger films, 
even if you just you know, casually watch TV, you know that most of these characters, they have their own movies. Iron Man has his own films. Black Panther just came out with a film. They've kind of got their own things. And what happens is, is in each of their individual stories, they're fighting battles and facing challenges. And along the way, there's plot lines that we're introduced to that don't quite get answered. And there's hints and there's clues that are given in those stories. And then what Marvel does is Marvel takes each of these individual heroes and their individual stories and then pulls them together in these big collective movies and they explain how those individual events and experiences and plot lines suddenly make sense in the context of a greater story. And that's actually how it works for our lives as well. When we understand what's going on in the bigger story, when we understand the plot lines, suddenly what we're experiencing, it's not meaningless and purposeless, but suddenly we can see, oh, okay, this has value. There's a reason behind it because I understand the bigger story. That's what Mary points to in what she says. This is what she says again. Let me read it. It's the very end. She says, He has lifted up his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, why does Mary, in this statement about praise, about how God has been at work in her life and who God is, why does she reference Abraham? Why does she point to a story and a promise given 2,000 years before she was born? Well, it's because it was part of the bigger story. It was an important plot line that you needed to be aware of to understand that was going on in her life. She points to Abraham because what God did to Abraham is he came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless everybody. Through your offspring, your offspring is going to be a blessing to the whole world. God gives this promise to Abraham. But then the question's got to be asked, well, why does God promise Abraham that he's going to bless the whole world through him? Why is that significant? Well, again, it's part of the bigger story. It takes you all the way back to the beginning of creation. When God made this good and perfect world and put Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, in it, and it was only a matter of time, before Adam and Eve decided they didn't want God to be God, they wanted to be their own gods. So they rebelled against God and went their own way. And as a result of that, the curse of sin came onto the world. The, the world is now broken. What we experience in everyday life was really introduced by their action. What we experience in the forms of division or anger or hatred or disease or death, that was all entered in, that was all came about because of the decision that Adam and Eve made to rebel against God. Now, when God saw that happen to his perfect creation, he didn't just step back and say, you know what, you guys messed it up. I'm going to leave you on your own to figure it out. He didn't do that. What God said is he said, you know what? I know that it's gone wrong. I know that it's broken. I know that you are deeply impacted by sin, but I have a plan to rescue you. So what God did is he goes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, I'm going to use you in this plan. It's going to be through your offspring. Actually, he says to Abraham, there's going to be a specific individual in your lineage who's going to be the one who offers salvation to the whole world. And he gives this promise to Abraham. So Abraham then has a son, Isaac, and the family grows. They become known as the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. That's what Mary grew up in. Mary was a Jew. So then she has a son, Jesus, born into the Jewish people, born into the nation of Israel, born in the lineage of Abraham. Jesus is really the fulfillment of God's ultimate promise to save people from their sins. He, because of who he is and what he's done, he's really the only one that could give his life, so just like what we sing about, so that we could actually have life, so that we could be saved. 
So what Mary does is she, in this statement of praise about God, she's pointing to this big picture that God's been writing for thousands of years, this story, and saying, hey, my life and what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing, this makes sense because there's something bigger going on. There's a story about salvation that God's been writing for thousands of years. And my life finds meaning and purpose when I understand that bigger story and what I find myself in. What's really interesting to me, too, about Mary is actually she says that she's in need of the same salvation that God's offering. She says this about herself. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why would Mary need a Savior? The same reason we need a Savior. Because we've all been impacted and corrupted by sin. Because we've all made decisions to go against the way that God set up the world to work. And because of that, because we're living in this broken, fallen world, we need somebody to give their life for us. Just like Jesus gave his life for us, for Mary, it would be her own child who would die so that she could be saved. She needed that. She recognized it. She recognized that her life had value in the context of this greater story that God was writing. Same way for you, same way for me. Whether we realize it or not, the things that we're experiencing, they're not unrelated. They're not, they're not isolated. They're not, it's only happening to us. There's no value. There's no meaning. There's no purpose behind it. Now, when we understand this greater story, this story that God is saving the world from the consequences of sin, he's saving us, people who are living in this broken world, and we too are contaminated by sin. When we understand that, suddenly these events and things that are happening start to make sense in the context of that greater story. Now, one thing that's important for us to realize as we think about this greater story we're a part of is to realize where in the story we are. See, we're not at the beginning of the story. That happened a long time ago. We know some of the important plot lines. We know who God is. We know how he's at work. And we're not yet at the end of the story. We, don't, we do know that God will be victorious at the end. We're somewhere in the middle of the story. And something that every middle story situation has in common there's a lot of questions that are unanswered. You know, I mean, when you're reading a book, you're in the middle of the story and you don't quite know how it's going to turn out. There's that tension. There's that drama because there's those unanswered questions. And well, what's he going to do next? And how is this going to work out? And why did that happen? And, and then it's at the end of the story where it's all brought together and it's made clear. In a book, it's entertaining. It's fun. When it's your own life, let's just be honest, it's not as fun and entertaining when you're the one wrestling with those unanswered questions. Questions like, why did this happen to me? Questions like, will this illness ever be cured? Questions like, will we be able to get pregnant? Will he ever escape addiction? Will they be healed? Are they in heaven? All kinds of questions that we're struggling with. You know, for me in my life, I mean, we've all got our questions. One of the questions that I have sometimes is, when I was growing up, my dad was pretty sick for an extended period, and actually in junior high, there was a period of time where he was in and out of the hospital, sometimes for long periods of time, and my mom told us kids after the fact, she told us that at one point she was convinced that he was going to pass away, and I think back on this, and his illness and what our family went through, that had a big impact on my childhood. I mean, that shaped me in a lot of ways, but why did that happen? I don't know. That's an unanswered question. We all have our unanswered questions, the why questions that we struggle with. The, is this going to make any sense? Is there going to be purpose for this? I don't know why this is happening to me. We've all got those questions. But we've got to realize 
we are somewhere in the middle of the story. And one of the challenges of the middle of the story is learning to live with those unanswered questions. Those questions that sometimes they can consume us. Sometimes they can even cause us to not move forward because we're, we're just so concentrated on those questions. Sometimes they can rattle us to the core of our faith and shake us deeply. We all have those questions. That's important is we need to realize the second thing Mary knew, because Mary had those questions too. And the second thing that Mary knew is so important for us, and the thing that Mary knew is she knew the character of the author. That helped her with those unanswered questions. This is so important when we know the character of the author. See, Mary, in this statement of praise, she's pointing out some of the ways that God's been at work in the world. She's really revealing this is who, this is who God is. This is how he operates. This is the power he has. He's merciful. He saves people from sin. He fulfills his promises. She says this. I'm going to read it again, starting at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich. Really, if you kind of break it out, she's kind of giving these bullet points of this is who God is and this is how he operates. It's not an exhaustive list. If you were to come up with a list describing God's character, it would encompass more than just this. But it's significant for us that Mary points to God's character in the middle of what she's experiencing. Because just like Mary, as we move through life, there are twists and turns that we don't know when they're going to happen or where they're going to happen. We don't know what's coming. And we know that life is going to be full of trials and pain. Part of that's because of this story we're in. We're in a story where the world's broken by sin, and each of us individually is impacted by sin. So we know there's going to be twists and turns and trials and pain and ups and downs, and we know there's going to be disappointment, and we know there's going to be failures, both ours and failures of other people, and we know there's going to be sickness, and we know there's going to be loss. We know that this is coming. We just don't know when it's going to come, and that's a real precarious situation that it puts us in. And so Mary, as she looks ahead and she kind of understands, hey, this is the story I find myself in. These are, the, these are some of the main themes. These are the plot lines. She points to who God is, and by identifying God's character, saying this is his character, by doing that, what she's saying is, as I move forward, I can trust in him. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but because I know who he is, I can move forward and I can trust the one who's writing this story, the author of the story. Again, it works the same way for us. Trust in the author helps us live with the tension of unanswered questions. Being in the middle, I mean, you could come up with tons of your own questions that you have. Questions that this side of eternity, they might not get answers. How's it going to work out? Will this happen? What if this happens? All kinds of scenarios that you could run through. But when you know the character of the author, you can trust in him, and you can live with that tension. You know, for my wife and I, we have two kids. We have a third kid on the way. We're about halfway through this third pregnancy. And there's all kinds of questions that I have. You know, is the baby going to continue to develop correctly? Is, you know, is the delivery going to be safe and healthy for the baby and for my wife? I have questions, all kinds of questions about parenting. Are my kids going to grow up to follow Jesus? I have questions about our marriage. I have questions about how is our marriage going to be affected by the pressure and all the stresses of life and parenting? How's this going to impact us individually? How's this going to impact our relationship? I mean, this last week, my daughter, last Sunday actually, she fell off something at the park and she broke her wrist. And when she did that, it's really close to a growth plate. 
I mean, I have all kinds of questions about, well, how is that going to impact the development of her hand and the use of her arm and her wrist? And how is that going to impact her into the future? All kinds of questions. And I know you've got questions too. But when we can look at who God is and understand his character, and we understand that he's a good God, he's a loving God, he's a righteous God, he's a just God, he's a holy God, he's faithful, he fulfills his promises, he cares about us, he is in control, he's the one writing the story. Then what we know is as we move forward and we face these twists and turns in the road, and even if the road takes us in a direction that we might not want to go in, I mean, think about Mary's story. You think that everything she experienced, she wanted to experience that? No way. There were all kinds of twists and turns that she was going, what? Now this? But she had concluded that because God, because of his character, because of who he had revealed himself to be, she had concluded, I can trust him. So this this path I'm on is now turning in a direction that I am not so comfortable with going down. But I know his character, so I'm going to trust him. Same for us. When we know the character of the author, we can decide to trust him and live with that tension of those unanswered questions. One of the things while studying this passage that kind of jumped out at me and I found interesting is there's a lot of similarities. Actually, Bible scholars point out similarities between this statement that Mary says, that we're exploring, and something a mother in the Old Testament says. Actually, the mother's name is Hannah. She lived, or she, her story's written in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And Hannah's story, in her story as it's recorded, she really wanted to have kids, but she wasn't able to. And so she goes to God and she pleads with God and she says, God, please allow me to get pregnant. Please allow me to have a child. So God allows her and her husband to get pregnant and they have a son. His name's Samuel. Actually, he goes on to be one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. So Hannah goes through this. She has this son. And then afterwards, shortly after he's born, Hannah takes Samuel to the temple, and she dedicates him to the Lord. She really says, God, I want you to use my son in service to you. And then right after she does that, she says something about how God's been at work in her life and who she understands God to be, this statement of praise. And what Bible scholars point out is there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between what Mary says here in this passage and what Hannah says all the way back in 1 Samuel. There's a lot of similarities. And that kind of made me start wondering, like, as we're talking about heroes and we're talking about looking at examples of other people's faith and how that can benefit us, I wonder if Hannah was one of Mary's heroes. I don't know the answer to that question, but I wonder if, if Mary, as she was growing up, if she was told the story about Hannah's life and she was told how God was at work in her life and through the scriptures, she read what Hannah had to say about God. And I wonder if through that, she started to discover God's character and see this is who he is, and this is how he's operating in the world, and this is the power he has, and this is how we're supposed to relate to him. And I wonder if through discovering the character of the author, that helped her come to the conclusion that, you know what, I can trust the God who's in control of this situation. I know the bigger story. I know my life's part of it but I know his character. I've, I've seen how he's at work in other people's lives. I know these stories. I wonder how that helped her in her journey. Actually, for you and me, it's the same thing. In order to discover God's character, there's really no replacement for sitting down with God's word, the Bible, and opening it up and reading the stories about how he's been working throughout history, reading the stories about how he's been interacting in other people's lives, how he's been guiding them through the trials that they face, the instructions that he's given. I mean, that's how we learn it. 
And as we do that, as we take the time to discover who he is, who he's revealed himself to be, what the Bible says about his power, then we too get to come to a a point where we can say, you know what, based on what the Bible says about him, I'm going to choose to trust him. I've got all these questions. I've got all these whys that I don't know the answer to. I've got all these what ifs. I've got all the, well, maybe. I've got all these questions that I'm living with. I'm in the middle of this story, and I don't exactly know how it's going to work out, but I do know how God's been at work, and I know who he is. So just like Mary, I'm going to choose to trust him in the situation, and I'm going to keep moving. Mary knew the character of the author. She was able to trust him. A third thing that Mary knew is revealed in this statement of hers is Mary knew her part in the story. This is really important. Mary knew her part in the story. I mean, even with if you add up everything that Mary says is recorded in the Bible, there's not very much recorded that she says, but two times she references herself as God's servant. She points out the part that she has to play. She says this in Luke 138. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. And then again, in verse 48, she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. If you think about this, again, we're talking about her life. She doesn't have all the answers to the questions. She's living with why questions. She's living with what if. She's living with the what, the will this happen. But the thing that she knew is she knew her part in the story. She knew that she was God's servant. And that was so helpful because if you know your part in the story, then you really know what the next step is. And what's interesting is if you read through the Bible and you discover what God says about our part, you and me actually have the same part to play. I am God's servant in this great story of salvation that he's been writing for thousands of years. You are God's servant in this great story that he's writing about how he is bringing salvation to the world. We're his servants in this story. Now, a challenge for me is I don't always want to serve. I don't always want to inconvenience myself for other people. I don't want to go out of my way putting them first. You know, I kind of want to be the important person. You know, I would like, instead of, you know, preparing, you know, a delicious feast and then feeding it to others and not getting any myself and then doing all the cleanup afterwards, I would rather be the person that's given the delicious meal and doesn't have to do any of the work in preparation or in cleanup after the fact. I would much rather prefer that role. And we all kind of have this tendency where we want to be the important person in the story. We really want it to be about us. And so because of this tendency... Oftentimes, we'll kind of interact with God or approach him or even view him as if he's our servant, as if it's his job to make our lives comfortable, as if it's God's job to make my life happy. Like, it's, it's God's job to make sure that I have fun and I have what I need and this life is pain-free and I don't get sick and my family's protected. I mean, his job is really to serve me and make my life the way that I want it to be. Oftentimes, that's how we'll approach him. But the challenge is, is how in the world do you go through anything like Mary went through if God's your servant and come out with your faith intact? If you think God's your servant, how in the world do you go through that? I mean, that's pretty poor customer service, if we're honest. If God's our servant, you know? Well, what's going to happen? I mean, we're going to grow bitter at him because he's not given us the service that we want. So bitterness towards him is going to grow. You know, we might even walk away again because this, this isn't the customer service experience that I wanted. I'm the customer, God. You're the one who's supposed to serve me. 
I mean, it can, it can cause us to just turn and, you know what, this faith thing, I'm out of here. This isn't what I wanted. What's interesting to me about Mary is her attitude about the part that she got to play. She says this, it's, it's not a woe is me. It's not a I am insignificant. It's not a no one cares about me. This is what she says. She says, my soul rejoices. At the deepest part of who I am as a being, I am joyful. I'm full of excitement. My soul rejoices what she says. She says, he's been mindful of me. It's not like he's unaware that I'm in the room. He's not aware of my presence. He's mindful. He, is, he completely understands everything that's going on in my life. He knows who I am, and he cares about me. He's been mindful of me. That's what Mary's saying about God. He, she says this. She says, generations will call me blessed because he has done great things for me. And in other words, what she's saying there is generations will call me blessed because he's done great things for me. She's saying in this, in this story that God's writing about him saving the world from sin, I get to play a pretty cool part. That's what she's saying. She's saying people are going to look back at the role that I got to play as I offered myself to him as his servant and how he used me. People are going to look back at this story and they're going to say, Mary got to play a pretty cool part in that story. A challenge for you and me is Mary's story is written in the Bible for us to read. How God uses us, what we do in our lives. I mean, we, you know, you can't sit down this afternoon and read the story of my life about how God has used me or will use me. It's not yet been written. And that can pose a real challenge because we can wonder, is he doing anything? Is he using me? It hasn't been recorded yet. But honestly, that's one of the exciting things that I find exciting about heaven. Is when you think about heaven, what you realize is when we get there, all those unanswered questions, the whys, the how will it turn out, the will this happens, the what ifs, all those unanswered questions, they're going to be answered. And then in addition to those being answered, what we got to do in service to God and how God used that to impact other people to soften hearts, to change minds, to add value, to love, to bless, all those things to grow us, that's going to be revealed too. And so to me, when I think about heaven, one of the things that excites me is the countless interactions with other people where it's, it's wait, you got to do what? That's awesome. God used you in that way? God put you in that family for that reason, and as you did that, he used you to impact them? I had no idea. God put you in that company, and then as a result of some interaction you had, it impacted this person, and God used that, and then there was this trickle effect to others that you didn't even get to see until we got here. That's amazing that you got to do that. I mean, over and over again, it's going to be, Mary's is revealed here for us in the pages of the Bible. We're not going to know all the details until we get to heaven. But I do know he has a very exciting part for you to play. And just like my part starts with me going to him and saying, here I am, I'm your servant. That's how it works for Mary. That's how it works for us too. We go to God and we present ourselves as, God, I'm your servant, use me. And then he uses us in this great story about salvation to impact people and shape eternity in ways that currently we can't even imagine. What an exciting opportunity. So, this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the challenges you face. I don't know how your life has been twisting and turning or the pain that you're going through. I don't know the why questions that you're carrying, the what if questions, the will it work out questions. I don't know all those. 
But I do know that just like Mary, your life finds context and meaning in the bigger story. I do know that when you start to understand the plot lines of God's story, you can see how, okay, this is what God's doing. This is what he's doing. This is what life's all about. I do know that we realize that that this isn't just an isolated, pointless, meaningless, hopeless experience, but there's, there's a purpose to this. This is significant and important. That happens in the context of his greater story. Your life is a part of that story. I also know that just like Mary had to come to the conclusion that she could trust the author of the story because of his character, I know that in order to keep moving forward, you're going to have to explore who he is and come to a conclusion that this is the kind of God I serve based on how he's revealed himself to be. And based on who he's revealed himself to be, you're going to have to come to the conclusion that I can trust him and I can keep moving. I have these unanswered questions. I'm living with this tension, but I know the guy, the God who's got the pen in his hand is trustworthy. And because of that, I'm going to keep moving and I'm going to keep living life the way that he instructs. And then I know just like Mary, who she presented herself to God and said, here I am, God, I'm your servant, use me. I know that as we take that same posture, as we play our part and say, God, here I am, use my life for you. I know that God is going to use us in exciting ways that we currently are completely unaware of. And I know that when we get into eternity and we find out those stories, all those small sacrifices, all those seemingly inconvenient times where we had to die to our desires in order to live to something greater, all of those will be immeasurably worth it. Because we'll see how God used us as we approached him as a servant in ways that impacted people's lives and shaped us for eternity. I know that that's how you walk through the twists and turns and the challenges of life. I know just like Mary, as you understand that your life's part of the story, you understand who the author is and you trust him, and then you play your part, you come out the other side on your feet. If you'll join me, we'll pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that throughout history, you have not left us in the dark about who you are and how you interact with humanity. I thank you for the fact that you have not left us in the dark about what your plan is, how you're at work and what this life and what this story is all about. I thank you for the examples of individuals over and over again who, who they were full of flaws. They struggled with sin just like us. But we can look to the example of their lives and see how they followed you and trusted you and how you interacted with and how you poured out your grace on them. And we can have a vision for, okay, so this is how I can do it in my own life. So Father, I thank you for that. I praise you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.